Let us pray. Lord, may the words that you put into my heart and on my lips help us to know you and love you more. Amen. Good morning. There's probably a room as big or bigger than this church and many other that hold books and commentaries and exegesis on the parables. The sermons in par on parables could fill hundreds of churches to the rafters. Everyone seems to love parables. One of my preaching professors in seminary wrote a book on parables, and my sister priest and friend Barbara Taylor wrote a book on parables. Preachers seem to love to preach about parables. Now, my dark secret, I don't like to preach on parables. I have a hard time understanding what they mean. I think I'm parabolically challenged. <laughs> Intellectually, I understand that the folks in Jesus' day and way before like to tell stories and riddles and metaphors, and they seem to have more time on their hands to stand around and ponder these intricate situations that Jesus and other teachers put before them. But I feel in the hundreds of years past that we've made a breakthrough on the way that people learn, and I'm one of them. I love to give information straightforwardly and possibly and probably a little too much information, but I don't like a lot of extraneous information myself. It, the information makes my mind wonder. So if I ask for the time, I just want to know what time it is. And if you tell me where you got your watch, I might start thinking about Switzerland, and then I think maybe I should give skiing a try again. <laughs> or maybe I start thinking about Germany, and I develop a hunger for Wiener Schwitzel or something that they eat there. Or I could start thinking about the streets of New York and then begin wondering about the ethical ramifications of buying a knockoff Rolex and what this could do to our economy. I just want the straight information without having to break down symbolic truth. I wonder if more people than just I have a difficulty with symbolic conversations. I wonder if we say we understand and we really don't. Several years ago, my husband and I were invited to a party at a friend's home. And the last time we had been there was the year before, and among the guests were this young couple who were getting married. They were happy and cute, and we were all happy for them. So at this party, this time when we were there, we were standing in a group, and someone asked a woman in the group how the newlyweds of last year were getting along. And her voice dropped, and we all bent in to hear. Oh, she said, it didn't work out. And we were alarmed. They were so adorable and in love. What happened? Once again, she lowered her voice, and we moved in closer to hear, to hear what she said. And she said, well, they didn't have much of a chance, you know, because he was an Irish seminarian, and she was adopted. And we all mumbled, oh, yes and knowingly shook our heads. When we were driving home that evening, I asked my wise and brilliant husband about the Irish seminarian and the adopted girl. I knew that it had to have a deep, dark, murky fact, and everybody knew it except me. And my, hus my husband turned to me and said, I have absolutely no idea. 
So this is why that I think that there must be more people than just me who um, misunderstands as well. Oh, some of the um, parables are quite under, uh, easy to understand, but some just seem to be beyond my intelligence or my intellectual or parabolic um, grasp. When some of you um, women out there may remember being a teenager or a preteen and wearing those plastic, little plastic balls around your neck with mustard seeds in them, remember that? I had one of those. But I never knew what it was talking about, what it meant. I didn't know if it was a good thing or a bad thing. Was it to rem remind me that faith should be bigger than that little tiny thing, or was it to remind me that I didn't have much faith at all? This is how big it was. So I didn't wear it very long because I, it just confused me. And this parable tends to confuse me as well. Listen to the language, first of all, about slaves. That makes me very nervous. Of course we should allow our slaves to put their feet up after a hard day work. But should we even be having slaves? The slave talk is hard for me. Now, I know this is way back a long time ago, but I get sidetracked and begin, begin thinking about the whole slave issue in other parts of the world and here in our own city and state. Am I missing what Jesus is saying? I actually do realize what Jesus was saying, but I wish he'd addressed it more straightforward. When the disciples said to Jesus, increase our faith, I wish Jesus had just said to them, you crazy boys, you don't get it. You do faith. You don't ask for faith and get it. You just do it. If you had to, if you had faith that you would know about this tree and take that tree and plant it in the ocean and it would do it, that's what faith would be. I don't know exactly what Jesus meant, but I see where he was going. He could have said something like, look in your closet at those seven coats that you've been saving and give six of them away because there are people out there who are cold and you only need one to wear at a time. Or open your drawers and see the 55 t-shirts that you've been collecting for years and you can't seem to part with. Give them to an organization who gives them to folks who don't have any clothes. You ever notice in pictures of people in, in countries who are poor and desolate, and there are always these little kids wearing these T-shirts, and they say Disney World or Caribbean Cruise. You know those babies have never been there, but somebody was doing faith. And in your linen closet, there are 20 warm blankets waiting for 20 of your friends or family to come on the coldest day in the world, and you'll be prepared. Does this happen very often? There are some people who need blankets. Do faith. Is there somewhere where bodies are needed to help? Some places of devastation. Some places that give clothes to children. What can we do? Can't go because it's not a good time for me. There's nothing I can do. I'm too old. You're too young. I need a bathroom of my own. I have allergies. My business will suffer. I'm not strong. What would my parishioners say and do without me? Helping is doing faith. This is a hard one. What if we give away our money with no expectations that we're going to get something out of it, but some lives may be better? What if we actually gave our money away? This is a hard one, but this is what Jesus says. 
I'm not admonishing anybody. I'm reminding myself of all of these things, all of these things that I have good intentions to do, but don't ever get around to doing them. We don't get faith by wishing or asking for it, not even by a whole collection of how to get faith books. We only get faith by doing it and doing what Jesus said to do. Jesus tells us to touch lepers. He did. Probably most of us have never even seen a leper, but we do see a lot of folks that we don't want to touch or be close to. It's not an easy road to go down if we're going to follow what Jesus said to do. I think that this is why we ask for faith. One time or another, we've all probably been where the disciples were. Please, Lord, increase our faith. Give it to us so that we can go on. Give it to us so that we can understand. But that's not the way it works. Faith makes us go on whether we think we have it or not. Sometimes we're blessed when we can actually feel the fresh air of grace abound, and we don't know why, but we do know that something has happened. Faith is a tangible, palpable fist full of a grace verb. We know when we receive it because it opens our hearts to things we never thought about before. It makes us know that we can make a difference, tiny or small. We do faith. When we do it, it makes a difference. I think that Jesus was saying that that little mustard seed that some of us wore around our neck, when planted in our hearts, can grow wonders that never cease. Amen.